Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. All right, well, this is Advent season, and God is at work. And I heard an answer to prayer the other day, and I wanted to share it with you. Tom Jacobs, would you come up here? I got a couple questions for you. Maybe we could just talk this through in front of everybody. Okay. Uh, tell me um, you and your wife's name. Donna and Tom Jacobs. And how long have you been here at church? Uh, well, since before Converge started. So over... I've been here 11 and a half years, so over 11 and a half years then. Yes, because I was here when you came. Yeah. Okay, excellent. And uh, where do you live? Long Beach, Indiana. Okay, excellent. And um, I, I saw God in a text uh, at work in you, um, I think it was just last week. You want to tell us a little bit about your situation and what happened? Well, I've had Parkinson's since 2016, and it's tremor-driven. There's different kinds of Parkinson's. Mine was tremor-driven. So I would not have been able to do this two weeks ago because my tremor would have been shaking this cup pretty pretty strongly. I had a, uh, I had a thousand ultrasound beams going through my skull. They had to shave my head, so I've got a new look. <laughs> Which, which Shane approves of, <laughs> Dwayne Johnson look. So uh, anyway, 1,000 ultrasound beams shot through my head, targeting the spot in my brain that was causing the tremor. The neurosurgeon promised me 60 to 70% improvement, but God gave me 100%. That was a huge answer to prayer. The, and the second answer to prayer was, I had to be in an MRI machine for an extended period of time, you know, with my head clamped down so I couldn't move. So not only just being in the MRI machine, but not being able to move. And being claustrophobic, I was not looking forward to that. But God got me through that. How long were you in there? Uh, 20 minutes consecutively and then five, in five-minute increments. They would pull me out every five minutes to see what effect the, the, all these heat waves were having. I heard it's like banging pots. Yeah, like, it's pretty loud. Yeah, pretty loud, yeah. But sometimes it was silent. That was the hardest time was when it was silent. It's like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Wow. And then I got this text. Maybe you could tell me about it. I, I got this text that you're driving home. And I'm, so I'm in the passenger seat. And Donna reaches over and takes my left hand. And we held hands all the way home. And that's something we couldn't do before because the tremor would drive us me nuts and her nuts. So we couldn't do it. What a praise. Isn't that? Let's thank the Lord. Dear God, we just thank you so much for Tom and Donna and their faithfulness uh, and and their just witness to your work. Um, We thank you that you have not abandoned us or forsaken us, that you are with us, that you are Emmanuel. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I, I was just encouraged, and I know there's much more stories that work among us, but when I hear something, I'm like, oh, can you share that with people? That was, that's so great. Um, the microphone's here, Justin, just so you know. Um, well, typically, uh, we don't talk politics in church, but I said, hey, why not? Let's talk politics. Uh, right, right? Um, 
So I want to talk about a political leader. You can guess who it is. Uh, he's an opportunist, a spiritually used spirituality for his personal gain, divided, divided his nation, helped divide his nation, sought alliances with enemy states, and broke the law. Now, don't answer that question. Um, I think we, some might know who I'm talking about. Obviously, I'm talking about Ahaz uh, from the Old Testament. <laughs> He's the father of Hezekiah, and we'll be talking about him today. He was born in 763 B.C. Uh, in the southern kingdom of Israel. And we're going to look at a period of life that's mentioned in the book of Isaiah. And it's really fascinating as I was studying it and how it relates to Advent. Matthew, the reason we're going to Isaiah is Matthew quotes Isaiah more than any other prophet. And Isaiah talks a lot about Jesus. And it's like 700 years before he comes onto the scene. And in fact, Matthew's first chapter, he quotes the, the passage in Isaiah 7, 7 that we'll, we actually had read by destiny and we'll have read again here in a minute. We, we read about this king named Ahaz uh, a couple places, but predominantly in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. And so we'll read a big chunk of it, 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Here's the first few verses. Ahaz was 20 years old. When he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his sons as an offering, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and the hills under every green tree. This was a bad dude. He was leading his people to hell. He was so bad that he sacrificed his children to other gods. He killed his own kids. What kind of father is this? Yet we read, God extends an opportunity of mercy to him in Isaiah chapter 7. His life is at a crossroads. He has a chance to repent of his wickedness before it gets even worse and follow God. What does he do? Will he listen? Will he obey? Or will he not? So I've asked uh, Ed and Yvette, Brandis to read for us. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along to Isaiah chapter 7. We'll have the words projected here. Isaiah chapter 7, we'll read the first 17 verses. And um, you, again, you've heard part of it with destiny, but let's read it again. And, and we have a tradition, if you can, stand in honor of the Lord, but if you can't, uh, that's okay. Let's stand right now. Oh, yeah, right there. You have to turn it on. There you go. Reading from the book of Isaiah. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jezeb, your son, and the end of the conduit at the end of the conduit in the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, 
be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria, with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, head of Damascus is Rezin, and within the 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study it and to learn from it. I pray that you'd speak from it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So the situation is dire. This is bad news bears here. Israel's divided in two. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Um, you want to show that picture? Do we have one right there? So here's a generalized picture. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdoms. Different tribes are not getting along. And you can see that Judah is in orange there and Israel, the other tribes are in blue. God desires a relationship with his people, people who worship him, uh, people who follow him, people who seek him. He yearns for their trust. In our passage, I, I see a situation, an invitation. I see a a prediction and then some condemnation. It has listened to God. He heard God speak through Isaiah and he had to decide, is he going to follow him? The chapter loosely breaks down into four sections like that. The, the situation, verses 1 through 3 and 4 through 13, the invitation and 14 through 16, the prediction. And then the rest of it's, it's pretty condemning. It's condemnation, at least of Ahaz. What's the situation? What's going on? They're freaking out. The country's freaking out. Ahaz is freaking out. Judah's freaking out. Freaking out. Why? Because two bordering nations are warring. Their, their, their war parties are getting ready to conquer and destroy and invade. I was trying to think, what would it be like? What would it feel like to have such kind of a threat? You know, for us, I'm not really afraid of Canada. I don't know about you, or Mexico. Uh, we've got a, a lot of states below us to protect us from both. And uh, Canada, yeah, they're not, they're not 
a threat to us. So I can't relate that way. And then civil war, you know, it's been a long time since we've had civil war. How does this, how does this work? What does it feel like? The closest thing I could think of was COVID-19. And then COVID-19 started. I started freaking out about roving gangs from Chicago coming up 94 corridor to steal something, you know, or to grab my food and fuel, right? Um, Thankfully, they didn't happen. However, it did contribute to me stockpiling a lot of stuff. Like I had like three months supply of toilet paper and, um, and uh, rice and tuna. If you, and I might still have some rice and tuna if you need some from 2020. And I think the ex- expiration dates are more best used by than expiration dates. Um, so that's kind of an overreaction on my part, right? This stockpiling thing, at least in retrospect. But for Ahaz, this is a serious concern. They didn't have what we have. And he's freaking out, shaking in his boots. Let's read a little bit more about the situation. Look at verse three. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out and meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the washer's field. Apparently, Isaiah has a family. He's got a wife and at least one son here. And their names mean something that's interesting. Isaiah means God is my salvation. And if we looked at the Hebrew of his son, that means a remnant shall return. The pair are hopeful too. In the threat of deportation and prediction of future destruction, Isaiah is a word of encouragement just in his name. Isaiah obeys, he takes his son and they go to speak to the king. What does he say? Well, verse four tells us what he says. It's an invitation. He says to him, verse four, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and the Syria and the son of Remaliah. This is an invitation that Isaiah is giving this king Ahaz. We've seen his situation. The invitation is not to get caught up in this fear thing, not to be emotionally a wreck, or even to take action. These enemies are, are a fury, but they're going to flame out. They, they're rattling their swords. But Isaiah is saying, don't worry. Don't worry about that. Now, why would he worry? Well, verses 5 and 6, they tell us a little bit about what's, what's to worry about. Because Syria and Ephraim, the son of Remaliah, have devised evil against you, saying, quote, let's go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. God knew, God knew what was going on. He could hear it all, see it all, and he still does. He knows what happens in the boardrooms, the bedrooms, and the back rooms. This information could be brand new when he hears it from Isaiah, or it could be a well-circulated rumor. Regardless, He is getting word that there's something brewing with these two kings and he's freaking out and Isaiah is saying, stop it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of these, their plants. They're just smoldering stumps. Just like a a fire, it's going out. You don't need to worry about it. They wanted to take Ahaz out. They want to put a no-name successor in his place, a puppet king. He hears this and it's natural to be worried. However, God's inviting him to do something different, to trust him. Don't respond. Ephraim and Syria are like wild animals. I picture wild animals prowling around and his, well, he's telling, just stand still. 
You know, don't move. And he's tempted to try to take actions into his own hands to flee, which, you know, in some wild animals, you don't want to run from wild animals or fight them. And if you know some wild animals, you don't want to fight them. I was thinking about um, some advice I got a long time ago. And maybe this isn't true anymore. You can tell me when you go to Chicago and you're walking downtown and you're hanging out with, you know, your friends, don't look at people, strangers in the eye. Is that true still? You don't want to like engage with strangers like, hey, how's it going? You know, in Minnesota, where I'm from, it's like the Minnesota nice. You're nice to everybody. I've heard that's a little dangerous. And I kind of feel like that's kind of way Isaiah's like, don't engage with these two. Don't engage with them. God knows all things and his advice is the best. Look at verse seven. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. And it shall not come to pass. What? All these plans of the king of Israel and the king of Syria, their plans to destroy you, they're not going to happen. Trust me. Will you trust me? The plans of evil will fall flat on their face. Don't worry, Ahaz. Trust me. This is this invitation that Isaiah is presenting to this king of Ahaz. Verses 8 and 9 are this, is, is a poetic extension of this. For the head of Syria, follow this, for the head of Syria is Damascus. That's a, that's a city. Damascus is a city. Syria is the country. And the head of Damascus is Rezin. That's the king. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. No more. The tribe will be gone. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of the tribe, is, here's a city, is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. And if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Notice it goes from nation or like a country to a capital, to a king, to destruction. The people who pose a clear and present danger soon won't be a problem at all. But there's something missing in this series of countries, cities, and people. What's missing? What country is not mentioned or what group is not mentioned? What city is not mentioned? Jerusalem. Judah is not mentioned. And what's the head of Judah? The head of Judah is Jerusalem. What's the head of Jerusalem? Ahaz, the house of David. The pattern. Perhaps the message at the end of verse 9 is for Ahaz, don't you think? If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. God invited Ahaz to believe in the king of kings. It may be an invitation for us as well. If we're not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. Isaiah is reminding Ahaz of his identity and ancient promises. He has forgotten what does it mean to be part of the house of David. There was another prophet years, hundreds of years before, named Samuel, who anointed another king. He anointed Saul, the first king of Israel, but then he anointed the next one. Do you remember who he was? King David. And after a while, he tells David this prophecy. And this is what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is the significance of what Isaiah was saying to Ahaz, what he's forgetting. He's forgetting his family. He's forgetting his identity. He's forgetting his God. Here's what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, he's Samuel's talking to David. And you lie down with your fathers. You're dead. 
I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Solomon, David's son, was able to build this temple, the house of the Lord, and then he passed away. And the the baton was passed to the next generation. And then the next generation after that, and the next generation after that. Then ancestors after him could remember, the kingdom will last forever. Do not be afraid, King Ahaz. Trust in me. He has an opportunity here in this early part of Isaiah 7 as Isaiah is confronting him to turn and trust in him. Will he trust in the word of God? Will he trust in the promises of God? We have a similar invitation as we turn to Christmas. Will we believe? Will we believe in the promises of God when things aren't going so well? when the outcomes aren't good at the hospital? Will we trust in him when things don't go our way? When people are upset? Will we trust in God in the thick and thin? Through faith, we have an opportunity to become sons and daughters of the the living God. We are co-heirs with Christ, brothers and sisters, in the body of believers. Do Do we remember who we are in the midst of difficulties? or who our God is. This passage stands out as a reminder of someone who is at a crossroads and a reminder for us in the midst of our crossroads. God's reminding Ahaz. I think he's reminding us too. How does Ahaz respond? God predicted that his enemies would only last 65 years. Well, that sounds pretty good, 65 years. But again, I mean, in the moment, how does that feel? hey, it's going to be better in 65 years. <laughs> like, am I going to be around? I don't think I'm going to be around in 65 years. He, if he was 20, when he started, 65 years means 85. Okay, so maybe there's hope when I'm 85, okay? Still, it sounds a little gl- uh, glum. Uh, his dad, Jotham, I looked at this, he died at 41. 85? His grandfather, Uzziah, died at 68. Well, that's closer to 85. His great-grandfather, Amaziah, died at 54. And his great-great-grandfather died at 47. Living until he was in his 80s is not looking so bright for him. He's got like a target on his back being a king. It's, it's not a great position. Would he trust the law of averages or would he, an experience, or would he rely on God and his word? Would he cling to the promises of the Lord or cling to some other thing? This is the message of hope. This message of hope is, is, is going to be difficult for him to believe. In verse 10, Isaiah's voice disappears from this prophecy and all we hear is the Lord speaking personally to Ahaz. Listen to the Lord speak to him. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God and let it be deep as shale and as high as heaven. God wants him to seek him. We can measure our faith by our actions. God was going to do something extraordinary, unparalleled magical, as deep as shale. That's, that's like the marinara trench, the, you know, the center of the earth and as high as the heavens is outer space. Ask a sign, ask, ask for a sign. And how does he respond? It's kind of interesting. Did you catch this when Ed and Yvette were reading? Look at verse 12. 
He has said, I will not ask. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. That sounds pretty good. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. He's saying pretty much exactly what Jesus said to the devil when he was tempted. I'm not going to ask for a sign. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. Hmm. What do you think? What's the heart behind Ahaz? Is he moving towards God? Is he moving towards faith and who God is? Recalling who he is? Or is he moving away? Look at verse 13. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Isaiah doesn't call him by his name. He calls him by his house. That calls him by his family name. He's forgotten. What's going on in his heart? He's forgotten his roots. He's forgotten the, the, the line of promise goes through him. He's, he's forgotten his identity. He's forgotten who God was. He's not trusting God. He's rejecting him in pious language. He's like telling Isaiah, I got this. Don't worry about it. Don't bother me. Maybe it's with a prayer. He's, it's all, no, a stiff arm. God let him go his way then. We read elsewhere in 2 Chronicles 28. He let him go his way and have his consequences. There are natural consequences in life and God lets him run to his own solution and it's bad news. We got a taste of it when we looked at the beginning of 28 of 2 Chronicles 28. God allows, if you keep reading, he allows Syria and Israel to conquer, to destroy, to, to kill. 120,000 people were killed in one day by this King Pekah of Israel. There's a mighty man, it lists, named Zikri, who kills the top three officials of Judah. One of Judah's son, one of Ahaz's sons, the second in command and a commander of the palace. Not only that, they enslave 200,000 Judah people, people from Judah, this tribe. 200,000 are taken north and enslaved. Horrible. And then they plunder the place. God let this happen because of Ahaz's rebellion, his heart, his rejection of the invitation to trust him because he's forgotten. On a, on a way lesser scale, it reminds me of the kids. So I, I see the kids, I got six kids and I'm trying to, you know, see them. They're frustrated with the whole school. Hey, can I help you with your school? No, I got this. Okay. But they don't. Or they're working in the kitchen. Hey, can I help you? And they're like, no, I got this. And the, and the, and the thing fails. Okay. All right. Um, he has rejecting God. And it's far worse than a, you know, cake that doesn't rise, you know, or a math test that's not that great. The disaster for Judah is preventable. Ahaz just has to trust him and he doesn't. So what, what's, his, what's his alternative? If he's not going to trust God, what's he going to re rely on? What, what do we rely on when we don't trust on God? Well, for him, he's, he's a king. He's got some resources. He's got a lot of resources. And he's going to trust in those resources and his resourcefulness, and he's going to go out and try to find some help. You know, Israel finds Syria. Well, he's going to get Assyria. 
a different nation, a bigger nation. He's going to get their help. And so he hawks some stuff from the temple. He sells some of the temple treasure that Solomon, this house of David has put up to worship the Lord. He's going to sell some of the stuff from the church that they have, the temple. And then he's going to sell some of his own stuff and his family's stuff. He's going to get a serious help. What's interesting is I I like archaeology. And so I was like, is there any evidence of this outside of our Bible? And there is. In 1873, uh, England is sending guys all over the world. They're finding different things. And so this is in the British Museum. This is a piece of like a tablet about 12 inches by like, I think, nine inches. And on it talks about Ahaz and a bunch of other kings who sent money to this king of Assyria who is mentioned in 2 Chronicles 28. It's pretty cool. It's from 700 BC. And so this was found in Iraq. And we read about him sending these resources in 2 Chronicles 28. And so I'm going to read it. It's a little long. I'm going to cut out a a part, part that has some really hard names to pronounce. But you'll get the idea. This is his solution. See, is this, see if this is a good solution and see, and see the consequences. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the king Assyria for help. For the Edomites, it's another warring group around him, had again invaded and defeated Judah and carried away captives. And the Philistines, they made raids on the cities and they settled there. For the Lord humbled Judah. Why? Because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he made Judah act sinfully and had been very unfaithful to the Lord. So Tilgath, Pilser, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. For Ahaz took a portion of the house of the Lord and the house of the king and of the princes and gave tribute to the king of Assyria, that's Tilgath, Pilser, but it did not help him. That's what the tablet from Iraq says. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. Can you believe it? The same king Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, well, because the gods of kings of Syria helped them, I'll sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. The stuff in the temple, he's cutting into pieces. And he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. He's closing down the temple. And he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. Is it to God, Yahweh? To our God? No, it's to all the other gods. In every city in Judah, he made high places to make offerings to other gods, provoking to anger the Lord, the God of his fathers. Things go from bad to worse for this guy. He rejects God and God lets him go his own way. We're getting ahead of ourselves. God gave Ahaz an extraordinary sign and hope before this destruction. And it's hope for us as well. And so we've seen the situation, we see this invitation, but here's this this prediction that is hopeful for us. Look at verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You don't want a sign? The Lord's going to give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew quotes this in the first chapter, verse 20. But as he, Joseph, considers these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear 
to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the Lord had spoken by the prophet. What prophet? Isaiah. Quote, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What does that mean? It means God with us. God will be with his people. In the beginning, in the garden of Eden, God was with Adam and Eve. They sinned. He removed them from the garden and he removed his presence. But he was with Abraham and he calls him to go out to a land I will show you. And he was with Moses in a burning bush. And he was with the people of Israel as they wander for 40 years by a pillar of a cloud uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night. You might remember in Daniel, he's with his three young guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As they're cast into a fire because they're following Jesus. They're following the Lord. And there's another person in there. The, the king is like, there's someone else in there. The Lord is with them. And 700 years after that, Isaiah appeals to Ahaz, another messenger of God, speaks similar words to a young teenage girl. He tells, who told her that God had shown her favor. She being a virgin would miraculously have a, have a baby. And my, Matthew identifies her as a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The Apostle John agrees. He writes in the beginning of his book, the biography of Jesus, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The apostle Paul agrees about Emmanuel. He wrote this to the church in Philippi, who though he's in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He wrote elsewhere to a church in Colossae, another church. He, Emmanuel, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Emmanuel. Jesus is Emmanuel. The author of Hebrews wrote long ago and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets like Isaiah, like Samuel, like Moses. But in these last days, he spoke to us, how? By his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And he is, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And the Bible tells us that the spirit of Christ is now resident in his people. Those who trust in him, the spirit of Christ is here. Isaiah keeps predicting that this Jesus in specificity in verse 15, he says, uh, he shall eat curds of honey and when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. This little word here, I thought at first is like curds, of, you know, and honey would be like something like milk and honey, something wealthy, but 
as I read scholars say, no, this is, he's eating from the land. He's making, he's getting his subsistence from the land. He's born in poverty, which is what Jesus experienced as a carpenter's son. A census sending him out of his hometown to another town where he's born not in a hospital or not in a home, but in a barn. And then the king Herod, hearing of another king, being jealous, sends soldiers to kill all the two-year-olds and younger in the town, sends an angel, sends Joseph and Mary on the run with their baby, and they flee to Egypt as refugees. He lived a life of poverty, just as verse 15 seems to indicate. In verse 16, the last prediction we have here is some good news. For behold, before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Those he dreads won't be a threat, won't be an issue, but he didn't trust. And because he didn't trust, there's a consequence. So we've seen a situation, we've seen this invitation and this prediction. There's a consequence for him. And I'm just going to hit on verse 17. But if you read the rest of the verses, there's a lot of judgment in these verses. A lot of strict judgment. Verse 17, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah. What is that? What days? They will be conquered. The king of Assyria. Ahaz made a deal with the devil. He would not follow God. He would be a sellout. God made a decision. He's going to let Ahaz have the consequences for his actions. So why would he do this? I was trying to think through the psychology of a king in this way is he doesn't believe God. He doesn't think that God's way is better. He thinks his way is, is better. He, he's trusting his own instinct, his own resources. And then it gets me to think, well, so what does the Lord have for me in this? Do I ever act that way? Do I ever lean on my own understanding or try to figure it out myself without praying and seeking the Lord? Am I ever trying to do it my own way or make a shortcut or or skip and forget who I am in the Lord and who my Lord is. The good news is God is Emmanuel. He is with us. He has changed us. 2 Corinthians 5.17, some of you have memorized this. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We have a new identity. I have a new identity I can live out of, you can live out of, or we can live out of our old identity if we're followers of Jesus. Who are we? Through faith, let me remind us, brothers and sisters, that we are forgiven. We are free from the slavery and bondage of sin. Yes, we have to deal with sin, but it doesn't reign over us like it used to. We are holy. We are righteous in Christ. We have joined David's family and been adopted. We are adopted into a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are sons and daughters of the living God. That means we are inheritors of a kingdom, a kingdom that will never end, a kingdom of heaven where there is no sickness, there is no sin, there is no sadness, there is no death. We are royalty and called into a community. We are not alone. We are together. This Emmanuel calls us to remember who we are, whose family we're a part of, and who he is, and what he's done, and he is here. He is with us. 
I think it's easy, as we conclude here, I think it's easy to forget. I think it's easy to forget who we are and who he is. And then we can short circuit and go our own way. So let me encourage you to remember, to remember who you are, what the Bible promises us, to remember who he is, what God says about him. And for those of you who who this is new, or maybe you aren't really a, a follower of Jesus, you can be. You just have to turn from going your own way like Ahaz and turn to God and seek his grace. Seek Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your kindness and mercy to send us your son, Jesus. As we take a, a season to reflect on your sending your son, your one and only son, who came and lived and died for our sin. I pray that you would awaken us um, a heart of worship, a heart of joy, a heart of peace, and a heart of love. Help us, Lord, to this end. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.